the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dave, obviously I'm very, always very excited to have that opportunity. But then I found out, you know, several days ago, that I was going to be filling in for Dave during a special session of the legislature. So, you know, I think this is maybe the fourth or fifth time I've, I've filled in for Dave. The first time I think I've filled in while the legislature's officially in session in town. Um, so it's exciting uh, in some ways, terrifying in other ways. Let's be honest. There's a lot going on in a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't know how much of you, you know, you, you folks have probably been paying attention quite a bit. I'm sure there was I'm sure there was plenty of discussion on this show yesterday. I have a pretty good feeling about some of the proposed changes to the Freedom of Information Act. But there's also, you know, and, and not to d- dismiss that or diminish the importance of that. I think that's a very important issue. And I think it's, frankly, healthy what's happening right now, the debate that's happening. I saw some videos of folks that were at the Capitol until 9 o'clock, 9.30, something like that last night. I think it's a healthy process, frankly. Without commenting on the specifics of the bill, I, I think it's good for our state that people are showing up and weighing in. I think there are very, very strongly held opinions on both sides. Um, and, I, and I respect lots of people on both sides of, of this issue. But there's a lot of good stuff that's been filed in the special session that has gotten almost no attention whatsoever. And so one of the things we've been trying to do, my organization, Opportunity Arkansas, it's trying to draw some attention to some of these some of these other things. Everyone is talking about FOIA. Everyone. Every news outlet, every nonprofit, just about everybody is weighing in. And and appropriately so, perhaps. But there's a lot of other stuff. There's there's some really good, really good tax bills that have been filed. There's a really good education bill that's been filed. Um, that I would guess most of you have not heard of or heard anything about because it's just gotten kind of lost in the chaos of everything else that's been going on around the state capitol. So after our after our first break here, we're going to have uh, a dear friend, Laurie Lee from the Reform Alliance. She's going to stop by and we're going to talk a little bit about this bill. I believe it's SB5. That was filed by Representative Barker and Senator Brianne Davis. And I won't spoil the surprise. I'll let Laurie tell us about what that bill does and why it's good for Arkansas. But I think you'll want to stick around for that. Uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Mr. Grover Norquist. I'm sure he's been on the, on the show before. Um, but it'll be the first time I've interviewed him here on the show. And he's going to come on and talk... I imagine a fair amount about these tax bills that have been filed, a couple different tax bills. Well, I should say a couple different tax bills 
but they're companion bills. So they essentially do they they're essentially identical. Um, but for you know efficiency's sake, there's one that's running through the House and there's one that's running through the Senate. And then once they both pass, they'll essentially be merged and sent to the governor's office. Um, but there's some pretty cool stuff in there, frankly, some stuff that we've been working on and calling for at Opportunity Arkansas for a while. You know, I, I've caught a little bit of flack for <laughs> saying I was disappointed with the amount of income tax cuts that happened in the regular session back in the spring. Not that they weren't good, not that they weren't still progress in the right direction. I, I just thought we could have done more. We had a billion and a half or something like that surplus last fiscal year. We knew we were going to have another billion dollar ish surplus at the end of this fiscal year, which ended in June, at the end of June. Sorry, these headphones are, you know, I only get so many good hair days, Aaron. Yeah, I understand. And today was one, and I got to mess them up with these goofy headphones. They're actually brand new. Well, they're not. They're nice headphones. Don't get me wrong. Love the headphones, but uh, they're messing up my very little remaining hair. So uh, anyway, biting the bullet, putting them on the right way. But yeah, I thought you know I just thought we could have done more. I thought with a billion dollar surplus and Biden inflation the way that it is, and truly there are folks as good as things are, right? As good as you know, as low as unemployment is and as much progress as we've made on income tax reform and the Learns Act and some of these other things, the full effect of that just has not been felt yet. And it's not outweighing, I think, the negative effects that are coming down from the national level. So I felt like we needed to do more. I felt like a billion and a half surplus, but we cut $135 million or something like that, $150 million in taxes, just didn't seem like enough. And what are we going to do with all of that other money? Where's that going to go? You know, everyone was really fixated on how much tax cuts are we going to do? But I'm thinking about, well, there's a lot of money left. Where's it going? Where's it going to get spent? What special interest group is going to get their piece of that pie? And then June rolled around, the end of June. Uh, it was the first week of July in the fiscal year. The new fiscal year began. And it was announced that, lo and behold, we had another billion, I think it was $1.2 billion surplus. And so, you know, to me, the answer was pretty obvious. We need to give this money back to working Arkansans, to the hardworking taxpayers of this state. State government clearly has more money than they need to keep the lights on. And we need to put this money back in the pockets of the people who sent it here. People who are struggling to make ends meet. Small business owners. I know so many small business owners around the state, particularly around, particularly around Faulkner County where I live. Uh, several in White County where I grew up. Some here around Central Arkansas, Pulaski County area. Go talk to a small business owner. They'll tell you, yeah, things have been worse, but things aren't great. The cost of everything. I mean, I don't have to tell you folks, the cost of everything is up. Groceries, gas, it's still, it's been that way for 
you know, a couple years now. And so what can we do? What can the state do when we've got more money that we need to keep the lights on and to run state government? We need to give it back. Give it back to the taxpayers. Now, the other side, you know, they wasted no time. They wasted no time. Say, well, though, this is this is one time money. This is one, this is irresponsible. This is one time. You can't you can't permanently cut taxes with one time money. Senator Clark Tucker, who I know represents much of the Little Rock area, was quoted in the the Democrat Gazette saying that this is one time money. Here's the problem, though. Just straight common sense. When you have a billion dollar surplus, a billion dollar plus surplus, three years in a row, that's not one time money. It's just not. Three years in a row is not one time. At minimum, it's, you know, three time money, whatever you want to call it. But it's not one-time money at that point. And when you've got Arkansans who are struggling to make ends meet because the cost of groceries is up by 15%, gas is up $3.50 a gallon, all of these other economic pressures that are weighing in on Arkansas families, the least we can do, literally the least we can do, is give them some of their hard-earned money back. And so there's some legislation, some really good legislation, Senate Bill 8, and also, I believe it's HB, they changed the bill yesterday, Uh, I think it's HB 1008 now, sorry, 1007, companion bills, Uh, the House bill is being carried, lead sponsor, Representative Les Eves from Cersei, Senate sponsor, for the Senate bill, the lead sponsor, Senator Jonathan Dismang, also from the Searcy area. And we'll get into the details of this with my dear, lovely friend, Laurie Lee. Can you hear over there? Yes. Okay, all right. I'm just making sure. Get up. Get up Can you hear me? Oh, we got you. We got you now. That's usually Beautiful. not a problem. People are usually no, like, well. step away from the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get there. But it's early. It's early. It's only 730. Yeah, but I've had a full cup of coffee. Already. Yeah, well, I'm... I'm working on it. Okay. Thanks for the coffee, by the of way. Course. That's a that's a big help. Um, so I know you've been on the show probably more than I have. So folks are probably pretty familiar with you. Only before you were born. Only be- <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. Um, but tell us just a little bit about the Reform Alliance before we jump right into uh, the special session and education bill. Fantastic. Well, the Reform Alliance is a C3 organization that is dedicated to the advocacy of options and reform for kids. Our total focus is making sure every student in the state of Arkansas has access to an education that fits their specific needs. Um, we've been in, we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, and as oh. you know, I have been doing school choice uh, and education reform for now almost 25 years. I, almost you, as long what was as that I've face? Dad, <laughs> no, this is almost as wow. long as I've been alive. But. Wow, that's harsh. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, traveled the state uh, many times and met people all across Arkansas who um, who wanted the same thing I wanted as a parent, and that's how it all got mm-hmm. started. You know, I had a a child that uh, that was very bright. 
um, and wanted to learn, but the model that she was in just wasn't fitting. Um, and so as a single low income <laughs> wage earner, um, I had to figure out how to make sure my kid could read and write and do math. And so that's where it all started. And so now, um, 25 years later, um, we have an organization that uh, works um, throughout the state and with national partners to do policy, to change policy, and to uh, advocate for kids. And so we're very excited about what's going on in Arkansas now. Yeah, uh, a lot going on in Arkansas in education. And there's a new there's a new bill that's been put forth. So there, you know, the special session's going on right now. There's a lot happening with the special session but one thing that i think has not been i i've not seen anyone talking about is sb5 so what do you know about sb5 what can you tell us about it and how is it is it good for kids is it bad for you like what what's what's your take on sb5 and what it will do for education in arkansas so really it's just a cleanup from a bill that was passed the during the last session for the philanthropic investment in arkansas kids which is the tax credit Um, income-based scholarship. So there are now two uh, school choice programs in Arkansas. One is called the EFA, the Education Freedom Accounts. That um, program is based on um, eligibility criteria such as SPED kids, uh, uh, first respond, no, not yet, Um, military kids, kids from F schools, uh, foster kids, homeless kids. I think there's seven kids, seven different categories. Um, also kids that were formerly on the Succeed Scholarship, which was a, an actual voucher. It was a oh, voucher. Sh- um, we, we this is we not a voucher. That. Yeah. Um, well, that's funny because there are people that are <laughs> against vouchers, running against vouchers on, on the campaign oh, trail yeah. who actually have their children on a voucher. <laughs> that cracks me up. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I just had to. I, I, on the way over here, I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm totally doing it. Um, the stage is yours, Lori. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Not very often do people hand me a microphone <laughs> unfettered. <laughs> I got a mute button over okay. here. But. Um, so um, so fast forward during the last session, um, because of the Learns Act, thank you, Governor Sanders, for an amazing, comprehensive, um, yeah. uh, nationally – um, the the most incredible education reform policy ever in the history of America, bar none. And I don't say that. I mean, I say that with all. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. And so um, what she did in there was she took um, the Succeed Scholarship and absorbed that into the EFAs and expanded the eligibility criteria. And then she took the Philanthropic Investment Act, which we passed in 21, I believe. Yes. And um, took it from two million to six million, and that scholarship, like I said, is literally um, income based. So if you're 200 percent of the poverty level or below, which for a family of four is about fifty-five thousand dollars, then you can receive um, eighty or ninety percent, depending on grade. K eight is eighty percent, nine twelve is ninety percent of the um, foundational funding. This year, that's around uh, top out at sixty-six hundred, the same as the EFAs. Okay. Um, so essentially what this bill is doing, if I'm reading it correctly, is it's allowing kids with disabilities to <coughs> bless you. You got to hold it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Drink some more coffee. Uh, but it's allowing kids with disabilities that are participating in the PIA, the, the Philanthropic Investment in Arkansas Act, to participate in that and in 
the education freedom accounts. Is that correct? Well, <clears throat> no. Or is that of. oversimplification? <clears throat> no, okay. that's it, well. Then we after the Learns Act passed, then another bill was passed to allow what you just said to allow sped okay. kids to okay. stack the EFA and the PAC. What what was missed was that kids that were previously in private school were exempted because the PIAC bill requires a, a switcher. You have to have been in a public school in order to be eligible for the PIAC. Got it. And so this bill cleans that up and allows kids that are already um, special needs kids, high-end users, um, which identified IDEA, and there's like 13 categories of IDEA, um, to use both scholarships to obtain right around um, $14,000. Wow. Okay. Which is great because a lot of the schools yeah. that specialize in, uh, in special needs children are incredibly expensive. This is why that the, the Succeed Scholarship in 2015, a lot of listeners, I mean, if they've been listening a long time, know this because they were in the battle with us when we were trying to get mm-hmm. the Succeed Scholarship passed. But very few now know that the Succeed Scholarship passed without one dissenting vote. As a matter of fact, every senator, including Senator Joyce Elliott, Senator Linda Chesterfield, Senator uh, Stephanie Flowers, all voted yes for the Succeed a voucher mm-hmm. In 2015. An actual voucher. An actual voucher. Yeah, right. Not like learns, but not an like, actual Not voucher. like what they're right. saying is a voucher, but an actual <laughs> voucher, um, which, let me add again, there are people that are running for office currently who are running against vouchers whose children are on a voucher. <laughs> let me reiterate. <laughs> there, are children, there are actually people in office that have their children in private schools that vote against letting other people's children go to private schools. We can argue about this all day. Oh, I believe it. Um, so, um, yeah. So Good for me, but not for thee. I yeah, exactly. Let them eat cake. Yeah. Well, you guys have the crumb. Let's Even though, uh, I mean, arguably, the, the funds that we as taxpayers set aside for education are, are being squandered um, on the public school system in some regard for kids that are not able to make that model work. And, and yeah. here's the thing, Nick. Nobody okay, – let me rephrase because that's not completely true. Nobody in my office wants or that I'm associated with wants to destroy public education. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, part of our work is to come alongside public schools and help them develop programs that serve their kids better. And, and people don't know this, that we've helped uh, put together third-grade reading programs. We've put together um, wraparound services. We've started uh, summer enrichment programs with public schools. We've uh, helped public schools uh, during the pandemic uh, serve kids remotely. I mean, so, so people that go around saying, oh, you're a privatizer, oh, you're trying to ruin public school, they don't know what they're talking about. They have no facts. And this is what people who dis- in today's environment who disagree with you do. They make false accusations, and they go after you personally. And it's, yeah. just, uh, it's just ridiculous. Well, and I think that for me, that's been one of the most frustrating. I mean, there's been a lot of frustrating parts about the debate, the post-debate on the Learns Act. But to me, one of the most frustrating things has been that piece right there. Because when you look, if you actually read the Learns Act, which I have, you have, a lot of listeners have, um, it's like 90% 
focused on. I mean, I think that's very ninety percent focused on public schools. Very small, very small portion of it. The largest investment in public I education mean, in the history of Arkansas. It's true, you know, and, and the and, largest teacher, public school teacher. They can't mandate private schools uh, um, make teacher pay raises. What they did right. was they mandated public schools. They also gave accountability. They also gave teachers. Here's what they don't know. School safety. And, and teachers now I mean, have, a lot. A, have a seat at the table yeah. before a principal's ever installed by a superintendent now. Well, and you mentioned accountability. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a conservative buzzword that I find myself like not wanting to use just because it seems overused. But when you look at the Learns Act, like that really is the most uh, you know monumental part of it where now, I mean, we, we, you've talked about this. I've learned this from you over the last, you know, decade. But you talk about having a robust private school system to compete with the public school system. Not every kid, not, not every kid is going to be able to go to a private school. And that's fine. That's not the goal. But having other options will make public schools better because they will have to get better to compete. And they will now be held accountable to parents. And, and not only that. Not only that, but when you take the dissatisfied customer out of the equation, the kids who are not able to perform in a public school environment, it gets better. I'm going to tell you, the number one audience that calls our office on a daily basis are public school teachers. All right, Lee, we're talking about education reform uh, in Arkansas. You were saying that you get a lot of phone calls from public school teachers. What We got cut off by the break. Finish, finish that thought. I want to hear more about that. So what's what's so um, interesting is that the majority of teachers that we talk to, which are a lot, um, they are excited about the Learns Act. They're excited, of course, about the pay raise. Uh, and they're excited. Even before Learns, we got a significant amount of calls from public school teachers because they're the ones in the trenches. They're the ones in the classroom having to deal with the kids that they know need a different environment another opportunity and we had teachers call all the time prior to learn saying hey can you help us find a program for this kid please don't tell anybody i'm the one that called please um, help this family we've encouraged this family to call uh, blah blah now we get like please let us know that this is not going anywhere that this is really working that the kids that mm. were really struggling in our classroom are now in a place where they can be served better think about the audiences nick that were the target of LEARNS um, initially. SPED kids, foster kids, homeless kids, kids in F schools, kids in um, uh, District 5, Level 5, um, the absolute most vulnerable populations in our state. Having to be put in a classroom with 25 to however many other children. Yeah. Who, who, yeah. who? We don't know their home life. We don't know their. We don't know anything about these kids, and yet they're they're put into a situation where they are made to be streamlined, and the system is set for the kid in the middle. So the kids on both ends, the kids who struggle and the kids who excel, they're left. They're left, right? I mean, even the kids that excel. The, the public school classroom, the traditional, is not for them. We're still doing education in America based on age and not on ability, which is a travesty. Mm. I mean, mm. I, you've got two kids. Yeah. I've got two kids and three grandkids. And I'll just tell you that they're all different people. They all learn differently. 
And so these teachers see this and they understand the plight of parents and they understand um, the plight of these students. And the only ch- – this is what cracks me up. We've got people that run around going, well, we already had school choice in Arkansas. We sure did if you're rich. Yeah. If you're rich, you had Sorry. it. Or if you know somebody, you know, we had it. But if you're the average family out there, you know, uh, middle income wage earner, and you've got a kid that's got a learning uh, challenge or one that is exceptionally uh, on the other end and you don't, you're not politically, you know, um, yeah. you know, tied in. Well connected. Well connected. Yeah then your kid's in a classroom where they're not getting what they need. Governor Sanders and her team has made it so that now every child in the state of Arkansas by the school year 25-26 will have access to the entire education system, all of it, private school, public school, charter school, digital school, home school, micro school, all of it. And so what, you know, what, what she's allowed is every, everybody that was relegated to just one option – because of where they lived or the amount of income that their parents had now will have access to the entire spectrum. Well, and you, you know, you mentioned my kids. I mean, my son just started kindergarten a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I, I think just like you, I mean, I've been a, I've been a proponent of school choice and a, and a, and a benefactor in some ways, like I was homeschooled. And then, you know, in high school was very fortunate. My dad worked two jobs to send us to, to private school um, for a few years and you know so i've always been a believer in like kids having options but like when i became a parent and my son started getting older and that clock started ticking of like okay he's gonna have to go to school in a few years and where is he gonna go and frankly you know he's got some some speech delays and like it's very obvious like he was not going to be he was not going to be able to flourish or or thrive in a traditional school setting with 20 30 40 other kids just on this like you know this processing line like you said like uh it's it just not going to work for him and so i had this moment a couple years ago where i realized like okay if this is if this is my son like if this is what my family's going through and we're not rich by any means right but like we've got some options but like think of all the think of the thousands this is my son there's thousands of kids like this across the state of arkansas um and it sounds silly almost to, to to have that like epiphany, but you know, until you're a parent, until you experience it, um, you know, you can you can believe it, you can you know, you can want it for other people, but it became much more real in, well, those, like in this, those moments. These folks that live over here in the in the Heights and in uh, Hillcrest that are always you know that they the a lot of them are the opponents of the Learns Act. Their kids are going to arguably a private public school. <laughs> right? right, one that's been gerrymandered, so only their kids get to go there. That's right, and and they have the option of sending their kids. I, I had a guy tell me uh, at a dinner about a month ago, right after right after the Learns Act and everything was getting implemented, um, somebody that I thought was more like minded than me, and he said, and I quote, and this guy's a, a conservative. He said. I had to work my butt off to be able to put my kids in private school. Why should these kids be able to go? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you, Nick, that hit me in the face like a ton of bricks. Like, wow, that's a mindset out there. That mind, yo, but that mindset is out there. And that's why I get so frustrated by the other side and all that they spew about how this is just for the rich and this is just to help rich kids and line the pockets of the governor's donors and all this stuff and it's like no you don't like 
you don't understand. A you mean lot like of those the, the gal running for office who's running against vouchers, <laughs> who has her kid on a voucher? But it's like the, there. To your point, like there are there are quote unquote rich people who don't want it because they don't want the other kids to come in and spoil their quote private school. But they they don't benefit from this anyways. It's not the rich people that are benefiting from an education and freedom account. No. People in the media don't read the bills. Activists on social media often don't read the bills. And and I, I will say, in fairness, I have seen... Misinformation is a strong word. I feel like that's getting pretty close to just accusing someone of being intentionally dishonest. I don't want to say that. But I've seen incorrect information on both sides. On both sides of this issue. I think some sides are oversimplifying the matter. And I think one side is over-dramatizing the matter a little bit. A little bit. And that's not... that you know Those comments don't apply to everyone on both sides of the debate. But I have seen indications of both of those things from both sides. And so when I see that, my gut reaction, which as someone who cares deeply about Arkansas and wants people passionately engaged in the policymaking process, I'm encouraged to see so many people paying attention to this issue. It's been a long time. Frankly, if I'm being honest, <laughs> part of me wants to say, well, where were all you people during the regular session? We were fighting expansions of welfare. We were pushing to get the Learns Act passed. I mean, there were a lot of fights that we needed people engaged in, and there will be more fights in the future that we need good, hardworking, conservative, concerned Arkansans involved in. So I don't want to be dismissive of that at all. I think that's super encouraging. But just read the bill. There's a new bill. Um, I'll see if I can find it here on the legislative website. SB, let's see, SB9 is the new version of the FOIA bill. It is, I believe, I skimmed it this morning, I believe it's fairly different than the version from yesterday. Looked like there were at least, there's at least one section that was fairly significantly changed. So, here here's the hard part, as someone, again, who who wants people engaged and cares a lot about Arkansas and cares a lot about having good public policy in Arkansas. The whole debate has shifted now, to be fair, or at least has to be reconsidered. Because the bill has been significantly changed, I think, from what I from what I've read. So whatever you thought about the FOIA bill yesterday, good or bad, if you if you want to be engaged in this debate and taken seri- and, and seriously contribute, I should say, you've got to read the bill, the new bill, and you've got to take it for what it's worth. And I'll even suggest you've got to put aside whatever anger or frustration that you may have had yesterday because... It's a different bill. Now, if you want to hold, you know, call your legislators and ask them 
why they sponsored the original version or why they agreed to changes, whichever side of the issue you're on, I think you should do that. That's part of this process. It's part of being engaged in the policymaking process. But I don't think you can just hang on to your talking points or hang on to whatever you thought yesterday without stopping, taking a deep breath, and looking at the new bill. Because it's not the same bill. It's different. And it looks like there was at least one significant change. And so I would just say, in fairness to everyone involved on both sides, check yourself at the door and check your talking points from yesterday and and re-examine. And if you read the bill and you think it's still bad or you think it's still good, go for it. I I mean, I truly, and this is maybe a cliche thing to say, but I, I truly think this is a healthy discussion that's happening. Regardless of, you know, I may change my mind on that depending on the outcome, but I think it's good that people are engaged and people are asking questions, and I think that's a healthy part of the policymaking process. But you also, I mean, I, I have seen at times over the last decade in this space, in this world of policy Sometimes we just want to be right to say that we were right and we don't really care if we get what we want. We just we want to be right. And so even if the bill that we're opposing dies or gets significantly changed to become better or significantly less bad, we just still want to be upset about it. And and from a from a voter standpoint, I think you have a right to do that, obviously. If your legislator made a bad vote or made a bad decision on something, again, ask those questions. But from a policy standpoint, you have to examine the bill and the policy for what it actually does or what it actually says. And sometimes we don't give ourselves credit, I think, as a movement. Like when we get a win or we change a bill or something happens in our favor we still just want to be mad about it instead of saying you know what like good for us and good for them like good for us that we spoke up and good for them that they listened and like I don't know why those two things have to be at odds I don't know why we can't just say you know what we spoke up whatever the issue is I'm not even talking about this issue in particular but we spoke up and our representatives listened. They are always listening. And so I'm getting all of these Colorado Buffalo memes and graphics that are popping up now. Here's another one. Shadur Sanders on pace, full season pace. If he keeps this up, what he's done in, in two games so far, he will throw, well, he will have 42 total touchdowns, passing and rushing. 42 and 5,400 passing yards if he keeps up this pace. Now, can he keep up this pace? I don't know. I mean, we talked, you know, before we went to break last segment that they're going to hit some pretty steep competition at some point. And not too long from now, they're going to have to play Oregon in two weeks, USC, Arizona State, eh, UCLA, Oregon State, 
Washington State, Utah. I mean, they've got about a little bit over half of their remaining schedule is against ranked opponents. At least they're ranked right now. So I don't know if he can keep that pace up. But uh, really, really interesting. Okay, so I've been promising we're going to talk about income tax. We're going to talk more about football. Don't worry. Probably in the probably in the ten o'clock hour. But we're having Grover Norquist on from Americans for Tax Reform at the top of the next hour. And before we do that, I want to just talk through. I want to talk through the current lay of the land when it comes to the income tax, in particular the personal income tax here in Arkansas. Because I think it's easy, well, and, and especially if you just listen to the other side. The other side, unfortunately, from what I've observed, they're they're doing a, I hate to say a good job, but they're doing a thorough job messaging against income tax reform right now. And they're misleading you. I know that, I know, I hope you're sitting down. I know that shocks you. But they're either misinformed or they're intentionally misleading. I don't know. I don't want to assume intentions. But the reality is they're not giving you the full story. So here's what I want to do. There's a story. I'm going to tweet it out right now on my Twitter account, at N.H. Horton. There's an article and an analysis that I wrote yesterday at OpportunityArkansas.org. And I hate to, I mean, I hate to sit here and read you my own article. So I'm not going to do that exactly. But I do want you to understand how bad our tax code is here in Arkansas. How complicated it is. And so let me just let me just walk you through a couple of the tax tables, two tax tables from the state of Arkansas for personal income tax. And we link to these and, and, and show these in the piece. It's the top article right now at opportunityarkansas.org. I just tweeted it as well at N.H. Horton. N.H. Horton. Two H's in there. That gets people sometimes. But there's two tax tables for personal income tax in Arkansas. So there's one for folks that make less than or equal to $84,500 per year. Okay, so if you make less than or right at $84,500 $84,500 a year, you go into this tax bracket. You go into this tax table. Okay? Then there's a second table for people who make more than $84,500. Simple enough, right? Well, let me just walk through. I want to just walk through. We'll just spend some time on the lower income, the, the lower level tax table here. Because I want you to understand how complicated this is, but I also want you to see, you know, the left is like really, really, as usual, they're going back to their same tired talking points about how the tax, the, t- the income tax plan that's been filed, SB8, by Senator Dismang, it's all for the rich. It's for the rich. The rich. And I mean, I think some of them truly believe that, like, the rich should just pay most of their income in taxes, if not all of it. Some of them truly believe in wealth redistribution. 
I, I, I can only assume they don't stop to think about, you know, where jobs come from, where businesses come from, or, or who creates those. But the idea that the rich, quote unquote, well, the, I mean, there's two problems here. There's a, there's a gross misunderstanding and misrepresentation of, quote, the rich and who the rich are in Arkansas. And then there's, out of that, there's this assumption or this narrative that's being built that those people don't already pay their fair share. And that the proposed tax cuts, which are taking us closer to having no state income tax for anyone, rich, poor, middle class, doesn't matter, anyone. We don't want anyone. I don't want anyone in Arkansas to pay income tax. But this proposed plan that's getting us closer to that end goal that, by the way, a lot of voters support. A lot of Democrat voters, a lot of independent voters. We just published a new poll on this, actually. And a lot of support across the state, across the political spectrum, for eliminating the income tax entirely. But the other side wants you to just believe that this is all about helping the rich. It's just all about the rich. So let me walk you through. This is, this is the income tax table for folks who make less than or equal to $84,500. And I'm going to do my best to not drown you in numbers here. But I think this is really, this is really instructive. And it, I, I think it lets you in on just how much they're misrepresenting and misleading on this issue. So if you make 0 to 5000 $99, you pay no income tax at all. Zero. So if you are truly destitute in extreme poverty, you pay no income tax at all in Arkansas. That's point number one. If you make between $5,100 and $10,300, you pay 2% income tax on all of that money in between those dollar ranges. So you still don't pay any income. These are marginal tax rates. So what that means is you pay different tax rates as you go on sections or segments of your income. Your first $5,100 is untaxed. Zero tax. Zero income tax. And then your next $5,000 or so, roughly, we're going to round a little bit here because some of these numbers are just too precise. But you'll, take, you'll pay 2% on that. Then the next $4,300 and so dollars that you make, you're going to pay 3% on. And then the next roughly $10,000 you make, you're going to pay 3.4% on. And then the next, and this is a big jump here, this, this, this last range, this highest income tax bracket, but this is important. This is the whole point. The highest income tax rate of 4.7% starts at $24,300. $24,300. So 
if you make $25,000, if you make $24,305, all of your income above that level is subject to the highest tax rate in the state of Arkansas. So that means you're pay someone that makes $25,000 a year in Arkansas, which by the way is below the poverty line for a family of 4. Folks that are in poverty are paying the same amount of taxes as people who make $85,000 a year. The same rate, I should say. Now, here's what the left wants you to believe. They want you to think that when, when, when this bill is being proposed, as it is, to lower that top tax rate from 4.7 down to 4.4, they want you to believe that those folks at $25,000 a year, or $28,000 a year, or $32,000 a year, that are barely above the poverty line or below the poverty line, they want you to believe that those people are rich. And that these are tax cuts for the rich. But I don't know anyone that thinks those people are rich. And, I, and by the way, I mean, by definition, they're not. By definition, some of them are in poverty. And the current proposal, by the way, again, the long-term plan is to eliminate the income tax for everyone. Everyone. And we are... We are inching and even you know taking bigger and bigger steps towards that but why would they tell why would they tell you that someone making thirty thousand dollars a year is the rich and why would they oppose reducing the tax burden on those people people that are scraping by again i, I mean i gotta be careful i don't want to assume intentions I can't assume why they're doing that, or I shouldn't. I can, but I won't. But it's it's not accurate. I mean, it's not fair. Now, are there people at the higher income levels that are also going to go from 4.7 to 4.4? Sure. I would, I would question whether or not that's a bad thing. In fact, I wouldn't even question it. I would just say that's not a bad thing, and we'll talk about that more after the break. But don't pretend we can't we can't buy into this fake narrative that cutting the top income tax rate is only benefiting the rich or even that it's primarily benefiting the rich. I mean, I don't even think that's the case. But if you make 25,000 or 40,000 or 50,000 dollars a year, all of your income above the $24,300 threshold is taxed at the highest rate. And that's not right. It's a punishment on work. It's a punishment on people who are trying to take care of themselves and their families and are scraping by. And they need more money in their pocket more than government needs money in its pocket. Hey, we're talking about an article that we published yesterday at opportunityarkansas.org. It's titled, The Truth About Arkansas's Latest Income Tax Plan. 
uh, income tax cut plan. The truth about Arkansas's latest income tax plan. I would encourage you to, to check it out. I just tweeted it as well if you want to read it. But here's the problem. Here's the, here's the problem with our tax code. If you were listening in the last segment, you got a pretty good sense of this, I think, as I rattled off a bunch of numbers and a bunch of percentages and a bunch of tax rates and a bunch of tax brackets. It's way too complicated. It's way too complicated. And it's punishing people for earning more money. It's punishing people for earning money at all, right? And I think that's the fundamental problem with an income tax is it punishes people for earning money and taking care of their family. And in a state like Arkansas, where we've had generational problems with dependency and poverty, and we've got labor force numbers that are down, even though the unemployment rate is down, we've had people dropping out of the labor force. It's too difficult, frankly, to start a small business or to get an occupational license or to get to work in Arkansas. And so you've got folks who have done all of that, who've pushed their way through the bureaucracy and pushed their way through barriers and hurdles to get into the workforce. And then state government comes in every two weeks and says, hey, you know what? We're going to take some of that. Hey, you know what? We're going to take 2% of that. We're going to take 4% of that. We're going to take, yep, you know, if you go over this income threshold, well, every dollar you earn over that amount, we're going to take 4.7% of that. And it's not right. And by the way, people are freaking out. People freak. You talk about getting rid of the state income tax. People on the other side go bananas. Just absolutely bonkers. But our income tax does not... we. We do not need our state income tax to run our state government. We don't. We just don't. And that shouldn't be a controversial thing to say. I don't really think that it is. But we have sales taxes. We have property taxes. We have excise taxes. We have, we have plenty of revenue streams in the state of Arkansas. And by the way, it doesn't bring in. The income tax does not bring in as much revenue as you think it does. In total, we spend about $32 billion per year in Arkansas. About a third of that's federal money. Federal taxpayer money, I should say. But the income tax brings in like less than $4 billion. So it's not this gargantuan revenue stream that we just can't live without. I mean, the surplus alone is a billion point too. So we, we have more money than we need to keep the lights on. Clearly. And it's time to start giving some of that back and reinvesting it in families and workers and small businesses and making us more competitive. Because, by the way, you guys know this, but we've got two states beside us that don't have any income taxes at all. And in Mississippi, they're on a path to getting rid of their state income tax. They're at 5% right now for their top tax rate, but they passed legislation to automatically ratchet it down to 4% over the next few years. So they're going to be lower than us. Louisiana's lower than us right now. Missouri is right about even, but talking about making more tax cuts. 
And so we, we can't operate in a vacuum. We can't lose sight of the fact that there are states around us that are outperforming us economically. Whether it's manufacturing jobs, whether it's technology jobs, all the growth in Texas that's coming from out west. Why are they going to Texas instead of Arkansas? Why are they going to Nashville and Tennessee instead of Arkansas? A big reason is our tax code. A big part of it is because of our tax code. So we walk through the, the tax table for the, quote, lower income folks. But if you make less than $84,500, you're in that lower tax table. So if you're at double the poverty level for a family of four, or if you're, you know, twice the median income in Arkansas, you're in this, quote, lower income tax table. And for every dollar you earn over $24,300, you're paying the top tax rate. You're paying almost 5%. So that's that's one part of the narrative that I think we just have to clarify. We have to be really clear about because the other side is really trying to distort this. If you're making $30,000 a year, you're paying that top tax rate on a chunk of your money. Now, these are marginal tax rates, so you're not paying that on all of it, but you you are paying on a chunk of your income the same rate as people who make $250,000 a year. And so what's happening right now is the legislature is trying to provide relief for many of those working families by reducing that top rate. And the left is going berserk. The other piece of this, and we'll talk more about this at the top of the next hour with Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform. But what about the folks who earn more than $84,500 a year in the top tax table? The left, you know, that's the rich, according to the left. I mean, all these people, everybody's the rich, according to them. But this is, this is. The way in the way our tax code is structured, these are the higher income folks. We're going to run out of time before the the next break, and I can explain all of this. But the bottom line, and we'll go into this more in the next hour. But if you make more than eighty four thousand five hundred dollars a year, the top tax rate kicks in for you at just over eighty eight hundred dollars. So every penny over that that you earn. You're paying the top tax rate. So here's the point. The rich, quote unquote, the people in the top tax bracket are paying the top tax rate on a lot more of their money, which I would argue is unfair. But the point is the left says it's the current proposals unfair because we're giving tax breaks to quote the rich. But the reality is. A lot of the people they're talking about are not the rich, and the rich are already paying more money in taxes than the vast majority of Arkansans. Low-income Arkansans pay almost nothing in income tax. So we've got to make this more fair, more flat, and eventually, pretty soon, we've got to get to zero income tax. That's the goal. 
Time flies when you're having fun, Aaron. Uh, this has been fun so far, and we got a couple hours left. So we've been talking a lot. We talked a little bit about education reform in the first hour with uh, Laurie Lee, and then we've been talking, well, a little bit of college football, but also a lot about income tax and how we can make our state more competitive with the states around us. And so we're privileged to be joined now by Mr. Grover Norquist, who is the president of Americans for Tax Reform. And the New York Times has called the high priest of Republican tax cutting. So we're very glad to have him on the show. Grover, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Great to be with you. This is such good news out of Arkansas, and it's good for the country to have another state entering the race to get to zero on the state income tax. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about that. So I want to I want to get your thoughts because I know ATR first. Tell us a little bit about ATR, but then also want to get your thoughts on, you know, because we've we've got a little bit of a little bit of tunnel vision. We're really focused on what's happening here in the state. But I know you guys have a lot more perspective about what's happening across the country and what's happening across the region and states that Arkansas is competing with economically. So give us your thoughts on you know, what we should be doing and kind of how we're stacking up with the states around us right now. Certainly. Uh, there's very little good or interesting, maybe very little good, that's going to happen in Washington, D.C. Uh, with divided government. The Republican House is not going to agree to anything too awful, and they certainly won't agree to tax increases. A Democratic Senate isn't going to agree to anything good, um, and they would love to raise taxes, but we won't let them. The, the Republicans would filibuster in the Senate could defeat it in the House, uh, and Biden throws out executive orders um, like Zeus with thunderbolts uh, for Mount Olympus, but they're, they're temporary. Uh, they can be undone. But in the 50 states, there's a lot of really good stuff doing, and in the red states, states with a Republican governor, a Republican House, and a Republican Senate, like Arkansas, um, there are quite a number that have decided one of our projects, in addition to school choice, education savings accounts, which Arkansas enacted, and 13 other states, and then probably another two, Texas and Georgia shortly, uh, is phasing the income tax down to zero. We're all familiar with the seven states that have no income tax now. Florida, Tennessee, Texas. I'm looking at my map. Arkansas is surrounded by those three. That's right. Uh, and... Uh, and, and there are more ganging up on you. Mississippi yep. is phased uh, down to a single-rate tax of 4%, uh, and then they, they plan to go to zero. Their state Senate leader is not particularly helpful on this, but the speaker is good, and the governor wants to do it and ran on it. So Mississippi is looking to go to zero as quickly as they can. Louisiana has passed a trigger, which will bring down the income tax. It doesn't bring it all the way to zero because they have to pass the legislation with a Democrat governor. But if we elect a Republican governor in Louisiana this year, uh, Louisiana will get back on track to phase out its income tax. Arkansas moved to a flat rate of two and a half, and now they're going to zero. Iowa's moving to a flat rate of 3.99. And in January, February, the governor, the House, and the Senate have all agreed they're going to make it go to zero, uh, maybe over a 10-year period or so. Nebraska said we're going to do exactly what Iowa's doing. So there's a uh, Kansas had a two-thirds vote in both houses to go to a single-rate tax, which would start them on the road to zero. But they had two, uh, quote-unquote, conservative Republicans, meaning people who couldn't get along with anybody, 
who voted no just to be jerks. Uh, they voted <laughs> yes in previous votes, but this time, because literally just to be jerks, they voted no. So hopefully when they retire or decided to do performance art somewhere other than in the legislature, Kansas will be on the road to zero. Arkansas, the governor, you may have seen on television recently say, we are going to zero. I have met with him. I've met with his leadership in the House and the Senate. Uh, the Senate's less excited than the House, but they're looking to start the move towards zero. Uh, and of course, Kentucky and West Virginia have both passed laws to phase their income tax to zero over the next 12 years. So those, that's law of the land written down. Arcan uh, New Hampshire becomes zero in one and a half years. They have a tax on dividends and interest. That oh, goes wow. away. And North Carolina is on track to zero as well. Watch this week. They should vote to go to two and a half, and then their next step will be to zero. South Carolina, the governor's uh, committed to going to zero. Uh, and I think, oh, uh, North Carolina, the governor, the guy there, uh, Bergen, who's running for president, he moved from seven rates down to two rates, and then they went down to one rate, and then they're going to zero. The, the key thing is get to single-rate tax because then you can, it's easy to go to zero. Why? Because you can explain. It's now three and a half, and now everybody's going to three. Right. And everyone goes, that's fair. But if you have seven brackets, as Ohio did, as uh, North, Car North Dakota did, try and bring seven brackets down without looking like, I think Mary's getting a bigger tax cut than me, uh, kind of conversation going. So once you're at a single rate tax, the whole envy thing falls off the table and you can just go to, look, anyone wants to invest in America, whether it's somebody from Germany or somebody from Texas, the first decision is do you invest in America, okay? We cut the corporate rate to 21. That made us much more likely to attract capital and investment and jobs. But then there are 50 decisions. Which state? Which state? And if some states are at zero or going to zero, they beat the ones that are stuck not going to zero. Well, and I'm glad, you know, you mentioned Mississippi. I've been telling folks, I've been warning them. Uh, you, know, you, know, you may not know this, Grover, but in Arkansas, our, our unofficial state motto is thank God for Mississippi because they're 50th and everything, and we're 49th and 48th in many things. And uh, if we're not careful, they're going to pass us even in tax reform. So we've got to keep our foot on the gas. Uh, you mentioned Kansas as well. So I wanted to get your thoughts because this is something that, the left always loves to bring up, you know, Kansas made some big tax cuts a few years ago. The sky fell. It was mass panic. You know, dogs and cats sleeping together the whole nine yards. What really happened in Kansas and what what can Arkansas learn from that? And how can we make sure? I mean, I think we all want to make sure we don't repeat that. But also, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about what really happened in Kansas. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. This is so important for all your uh, listeners to know. So if somebody yells at them, uh, you know, Kansas, um, that they shouldn't get spooked. Uh, under Brownback, Governor Brownback, he wanted to phase the income tax down to zero. Uh, two, several things happened. He had a legislature that wasn't willing to quit spending. Okay. So that caused a problem. Two, uh, he had a Supreme Court, which imagined that uh, the Constitution required a half a billion dollars more in government spending on teachers unions every single year, half a billion. Well, if you drop a half a billion spending increase on top of a budget, which is already a little bit too heavy and not getting lighter as it needs to, uh, that made it different. The Supreme Court 
when it's illegally announced you have to spend this money. That's it's not the Supreme Court's job. They don't spend money. Um, they, they killed it. Uh, Brownback theoretically could have, you know, jumped on the hand grenade or something and maybe played it differently, but it was a very difficult thing. Uh, we now have a much more conservative Kansas legislature. Again, Republicans in Kansas are not spooked by the Kansas experiment. Two-thirds, both houses, minus two people. And again, the people they lost were not against it for moderate reasons. They just had some personal argument with the, the Speaker of the House. Uh, and so they decided to be annoying by blowing something up. And uh, that Kansas will go get back to a, go to a single-rate tax and begin the march to zero. And this time, they will watch their spending, and they have a united party. So Kansas is an example of don't pay attention to a Supreme Court that tells you you have to spend money. You don't have to. And you need to make sure that you keep spending down to a dull roar that doesn't grow faster than people's wages. Uh, but the, if, if Kansas realizes that the Kansas story is not an argument against tax cuts, the rest of us can figure that out, too. Yeah, that's a that's a really good insight, um, and I'm glad you were able to to share that with us. This is Nick Horton on the Dave Ellswick Show, filling in for Dave. We're talking to Grover Norquist, the president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, we've got about four minutes left. I want to get your thoughts on you know the the current proposal. As you probably know, we're in special session right now. There is legislation to shave uh, three tenths off of the top personal income tax rate. And then 3% off the corporate tax rate as well. Of course, the left is going berserk, talking about how this is tax cuts for the rich. And you, you've heard it all before. We've been talking about it a little bit in the previous previous hour. What are your thoughts on the current proposal? How is it going to or is it going to make us more competitive with states around us? And, you know, what, what about all this noise that we're hearing that this is only for the wealthy and, and all of those sort of tired talking points? Okay. Uh, step one, the left always says the tax cut is for the wealthy. These are the people who recently raised taxes on cigarettes. Average smoker makes $50,000 a year. Um, and then they raise taxes on gasoline and, ener and, and energy, which everybody uses. So they tax everything that they, they can get their hands on. The argument that they only tax rich people is the lie they use to get elected. Biden said he'd never raise taxes on anyone who earned less than 400000 and then he proceeded to tax energy. So we've, we've lived through this argument before. We, you just have to sort of smile at them and say, that doesn't work. It, it's kind of like racist. It, you know, it's, whatever, they, whatever you want to do, it's racist. Whatever you want to do, it's for the rich. Uh, sadly, they do not have any arguments anymore. That, I mean, that's the good news. The good news is, they don't have any powerful arguments against the Reagan Republican agenda um, across the country and, and states like Arkansas. So they just have to swear, uh, or in their view, swear. But uh, this is a very good bill. I'm looking at the numbers as, as both the corporate rate uh, comes down uh, and the uh, uh, individual rate comes down. It's a, it's a good reduction. There, there are two important things. One, it's a reduction. Two, the governor and the leadership and the legislature, leaders like uh, David Ray, uh, Representative Ray, um, and uh, Minnie McCallaghan, uh, they put together with, with Speaker uh, Shepard and Governor uh, Sanders and the, the Senate President um, uh, Hester, look, this, this is really good stuff. The commitment to go to zero tells any business that's thinking of moving jobs into uh, Arkansas 
you know, they may not be at zero now the way Texas is, but they're going to zero. And there is a statewide commitment to go to zero. Anyone investing in Arkansas or Mississippi or Texas is doing so for 50, 60, 100 years. They don't care what your taxes are now. They want to know what they are for the next 100 years. Not, you know, and once you've decided you're going to zero, as in North Carolina, which has been doing this for 11 years, investments started flowing in as soon as they knew that the goal was zero and that they were serious about it. They didn't wait for you to hit zero. They just waited to have it be believable, given who does what and who has the votes and who runs the state, that this was not one politician's suggestion, but was bought into by the House Senate leadership uh, and the backbenchers uh, in Arkansas. So that's the good news. I think you'll start to see positive results immediately because people believe correctly that Arkansas is committed to get to zero. We're talking to Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Oh, Nick Horton, founder and CEO of Opportunity Arkansas. By the way, I mentioned this earlier, but if you don't have plans Thursday evening, we would love to have you join us. We are having a one-year celebration. Aaron's going to be there. No, Aaron's not going to be there. Okay. I want Aaron to be there. I wish, man. But we're having a one-year celebration at the Brick Room Events Space in downtown Conway, beautiful downtown Conway. And it's just going to be a big party, basically. Hot dogs, popcorn, live music, ice cream. You know, we didn't. We, we launched about a year ago, year ago uh, this month, late this month. We filed our paperwork in August of last year. But uh, we, we didn't really get to have a big kickoff celebration when we launched our organization. I mean... Nobody knew who we were. We didn't have any money. We, we, we couldn't have had an event if we wanted to, frankly. It just wasn't the right time. It was election season. People were busy. But we just had our one-year anniversary, and we just thought it was important to celebrate and to take some time and reflect on some really incredible things that have happened over the last year that we've had a privilege to be a part of. Some, some of those things we played a bigger part in than others. But certainly when you think about the LEARNS Act and getting educational freedom finally brought to every single child in the state of Arkansas, I I mean, I don't know that there's been a more significant policy victory for the cause or for the state of Arkansas really in our state's history. And so we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate the tax cuts. And hey, by the way, by then, we'll probably have more tax cuts to celebrate. Even more than the ones we knew about when we planned this event. Because of the special session that's going on right now. We had some pretty big victories. Related to reforming our welfare system. Reforming our unemployment system. Making sure that those programs are strong and sustainable for people that truly need help. But that... They also don't become ways of life for working age, able-bodied people. And we had some pretty major policy victories there to make those programs stronger and to make our economy and our workforce stronger. And we also won two national awards, I just have to say. I mean, I'm a little, you know, 
I'm, I'm a modest person here, and I don't like to brag. But we won two national awards. In fact, we're the only conservative policy organization in the country that won two awards at the State Policy Network conference last month. One for our insider newsletter, which if you're not getting, you're missing out. You're not in the know, okay? You're out of the loop, as they say, as the kids say. What do the kids say these days? Out of the loop? What do they say? Aaron doesn't know. Aaron, you're a kid. Come on. You're in touch with the young people. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm versed. <laughs> you're not well-versed. You're just versed. Yeah. Um. But you're out of the loop with what's going on at the Capitol if you're not getting our insider newsletter, Non-Debatable, and you can sign up for free with two easy clicks at nondebatable.com. And then we also won an award for our work on education freedom and the Learns Act, which we're really proud of. And I tell you, I was at this conference, and there were people, there were 2,000 people there from all over the country. And I've gone to a handful of these conferences this summer, and everyone wants to know about the Learns Act and what's in it and how we got it done and the impact that it's already having on the next generation of Arkansans. It, tru- it truly is. It's not just hype. Believe the hype, okay? But everyone wants to know and everyone wants to follow what we're doing on education reform. Full stop. I could name a dozen states that I've talked to about it this year, this summer, in the last two months. So we're going to celebrate that, and we're just going to have a good, we're just going to hang out. It's not really a formal program, much to speak of. We just want to celebrate, and we want to thank you all, because I know so many of you that are listening, and so many of our supporters across the state, I mean, none of these things would have happened literally without many of you, including people in the legislature and folks across the state. Dave, Dave told me he was going to be there and then (laughs) he went on vacation. Um, But we just honestly, there's no cost, no cost for food, no cost for ice cream. You can you can tip the musician if you want. He'd probably appreciate it. But we're going to have live music and we just want you to come celebrate. So. If you go to any of our social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instaface, Facegram, is that what, Instagram, that's what they call it, go there uh, and you can sign up. We are requiring registration, just a way for us to know who's going to be there and we have limited capacity. Registrations are pretty high at this point, but we still got some space. So please go sign up. We would love to just celebrate with you everything that's happening in Arkansas because we are we have started a movement. We we have latched on to a movement maybe, but we're helping advance a movement to solve generational problems in Arkansas. The problems that my parents were dealing with 30 years ago are not going to be the same problems that I'm going to hand down to my kids. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.